Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like a Dell. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrency. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast, episode number 220. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Dr. Corey Petty. And today... And yeah. Oh, I'm co-host number four, Quattro as well, right? This is... We're yeah. just having a round today. This is T.O. the Arcane Bear. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. I really, I'm re- grateful for you guys having me on. I've always really enjoyed podcast segments, long-form um, conversation I think is really engaging and, and the community needs as much of it as possible. So thank you guys for having me on. And where are you coming from? Where are you recording out of? I'm currently sitting in the jungles of Costa Rica, just on the Pacific side, one of the lushest, greenest parts of the world that I've, I've ever seen. We were joking wow. before we started here and in you being so remote and still having better internet than D <laughs> lives in the middle of San Antonio. That's right. San Antonio, get your shit together. You know what they blame it on? And I'm I'm so close to just being very angry. They blame it on all the limestone in my area interfering with the signals of their cables. That's a that's an impressive story. Um, yeah, the, the rock. The fiber interfering with fiber? the signal. I don't think rocks just, should they, interfere they just, with fiber. They just blanket they just blanket it all and call it internet. <laughs> the tubes it's a problem with all the tubes yeah. on the internet it's absorbing the wi-fi signals it's absorbing that it is it's reflecting and cutting their cables the limestone's be, a problem out might here. Be ex- Soft rock. I, I don't think it's too expensive to cut through in order to to bury cable limestone is the real culprit to censorship these days yeah yeah limestone's <laughs> doing it well i'm uh, glad you said like long form um I've always been curious to like ask people, are our episodes too long? Is it just right? Could it be longer? What Is it a think? Goldilocks? Yeah. Um, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast really thrives, I think, because of the duration and, and the ability for the guests and the and, and Joe Rogan's personality to I think really have that counter counter feedback situation where, you know, often we might agree, but those moments of disagreement and coming to a conclusion together or, or finding a, a newer sentiment. I'm, and I think so many uh, channels go for short burst snippets. Like I, I'm even uh, a culprit of this, you know, I'll write taglines is Bitcoin dead or something like this. And we're looking for those, those catchier ideas because normally the attention span uh, of, of the audience is, is quite short because they're looking for burst information, um, educational right off the bat. But a lot of the times uh, people are looking for conversation uh, that's, that's authentic regardless of the topic. And I think the longer form content really uh, allows for that. So the Bitcoin and blockchain niche is small right now. So 
you know, the audience is not going to be huge regardless. But as, as time grows, I think being able to offer um, those longer sentiments are extremely important so that, you know, over time, as you guys build, it'll probably become more important because we need a place where people can just have conversations and because i think it's more um intimate too to you know you get like i was listening to your podcast with andreas he's such a well-spoken character you know he's funny with his walmart greeting so um to be able to listen to it for 45 minutes in the background while i'm doing other work it is really nice and i think as the as the niche grows you'll find more and more of an audience in in, in the long-form content so oh yeah funny you mentioned the joe rogan thing that was one of my initial like desires to even do this i've been a fan of his podcast uh for a long time and we wanted that long form conversation it's we need a jamie though jamie pull that up yeah we need, we need a young jamie that would be helpful <laughs> we do need a jamie but uh, jamie and i are each other's jamie on just the headers yeah as well as what i was gonna say is like i think it's it's you get past the point of people spouting off what they came to say, like, you know, they, it's like automatic responses when you have long form conversation and you get into like who the person actually is because they no longer have that like laundry list of things, like laundry list of responses to automatically come back with on various topics that are like obvious to bring up. And it's kind of a short form conversation and you can't get that with a lot of other content. You can't get past the, the, the surface level person in a short form conversation or other types of me- other types of mediums. So that's why I've always kind of enjoyed this because it's, it's a unique way to get into like what, who somebody is and how they view things. Yep. I like it because I make it. So <laughs> there we go. So, so how long have you been listening to the show, Tio? You're muted. The, the first time I go. checked you guys out was uh, about about a year ago um, when I first started uh, on my channel. So, or maybe it was less than a year ago. So, about nine months ago, in in the early parts of August, uh, I'm pretty sure it was you guys. Um, and I, the I so it was like, okay, other people are doing podcasts in this space. I want to I want to do the same thing. Um, and I stopped listening to pretty much everything up until the last few weeks again. I'm like, okay, this is the best time to find out who's building, who's working in these slow times and, and reach out and have a conversation with them. Cause it's kind of it, it, right now, there's no crazy uh, FOMO. These are the times where we build foundations, where we network, we communicate with the people that still believe in, that still believe in the fundamentals and the philosophy. It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to, you know, I'll do some outreach. I, I love the podcast format. So <laughs> the last time, you know, it was almost a year in between the, I, I don't even remember what I listened to and it. it and then to, um, you know, last week with the, with Andreas uh, and, and then again this morning. So, it was a, a big break in between the two, <laughs> mostly because I was kept busy. But like all of a sudden, we were we we, we started on a on a run, <laughs> and then there's that was everything uh, for what you know almost almost a year when when Bitcoin went from around five hundred dollars uh, up to twenty thousand happened so quickly um, for you know that it was there was really nothing else to pay attention to. <laughs> Nobody could pay attention to anything else, and I'm glad that we can now. So we're in our another bear market. I don't hey. know. I think uh I think he just called you a builder, Cello. Um I'll I'll take it today. 
<laughs> oh, whatever. He'll take it. Takes I'll it when it's a it. good thing, but when it's not, he's like, "I ain't no builder." I'll take it. But you know, it, if we, imagine if we only podcasted when the price went up, though, that'd be kind of interesting. Would it be? What will we talk about? Hey guys, the, the price, price went up another hundred dollars. Yeah, here's what I'm buying this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I to 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 kind of go back to the long form content, what people are really are looking for is more authentic ways to you know, enjoy the experience. So the listening in the podcast, I think for me, I usually put it on in the background. I let it play. So the the wider the conversation, the better, because the the interested people are are generally more connected than we think like uh, you know in the arcane bear channel some of my first videos were uh, on on dmt or pineapples uh, and the medicinal benefits between these and i was also talking about the philosophies of blockchain so as soon as we saw the massive growth in that i started i obviously pivoted to where the waves were just like any good surfer but as time's gone on you know i've started to be like okay well i would i want to do revamps of the videos or uh or like new vignette versions of talking about a dimethyltryptamine or, or ayahuasca, and we found a, a lot of a lot of the people are interested in these same philosophies because decentralization of um, of power and of, of wealth is you know generally well connected to uh, sustainability and um, per- personal development, uh, especially in the entrepreneurial world. So you find all these over lapping tapestries and and that's what i've been trying to figure out how to do the best job of is how do i how do we weave threads between all these seemingly disconnected tapestries because people that are interested in in gaining financial wealth are also interested in gaining physical uh, health and wealth that's for me it's been a big thing it's like okay well you know how do i eat healthier now and and enjoy the experience uh on a on a deeper uh uh, like richness, you know, so it's uh, the personal development side of things I think is extremely important. And in this type of long form content, it gives us the ability to really, you know, open the floodgates to a thought to, and then refine it back into the, the, the point of the idea, which is, you know, wealth and, and richness is, is not just um, accumulated. It's a, it's a thing that's constantly experienced through I- individuals and you find, so it's been a really, um, I think it's, there's a lot of room for really interesting dialogue because of the the philosophical um, I, I I think conversation we're having here is that is that money is a communication of value and regardless of the technology that's behind it, it these are uh, deep human sentiments and the reason people are drawn towards things like blockchain is because it offers us you know a, a trustless nature in, in money and finance because we've seen so many problems with the governments and the financial systems. And, um, you know, I think regardless of the technology, it's a, it's us as humans that perceive this technology to have value that gives it the value in the first place. So, I, you know, as an argument against gold bugs is there's no intrinsic value to anything but what we perceive it to be. And that a lot of the reasons why um, people enjoy, you know, decentralization at a, a philosophical level, I think, is because of the values that it offers them um, as, as a human, not, you know, which you know, we see. This has been used to get assessed in social media and stuff, but yeah, of course. You said you talked about pineapples before you were talking about it. So how have you found the overlap in that? You, I think you stopped listening the moment you said pineapples and just waited to no, ask that. No, I listened to everything. No, don't get me wrong. And I 100% agree <laughs> like value is what we make it. I mean, money is just this grand illusion. And we all play along because it makes everybody's illusion that much funner. But 
Well, I think he just wants your your physical and your spirit <laughs> and your your emotional well being to all be aligned, not just oh, uh, you know, be rich in Bitcoin, but you know, you're fat and unhealthy, and so there's multiple benefits to multiple categories, and he's just trying to find all the pain points. I'll grill a pineapple in a second. Throw that shit on a steak. Probably well, be delicious. No, Mar- Marcello, Marcello's, uh was was hitting the nail with the with the hammer there. That you know, when you think about what is wealth or what is richness, you know, I've met a lot of people that have made a lot of money and aren't, aren't very happy. But I also have a, a, there's a few very key friends. One of them comes to mind specifically that um, practiced something called right livelihood. And he may he, he turned his company from $500 into a multi-billion dollar international company um, by selling um, something that was better for you than, than cow milk, which was uh, almond and soy milk at the time. I mean, it, the industry's run over now, just like every, uh, happens to many industries. But anyways, the point of that story was some of the entrepreneurs that I've become friends with that have become extremely successful, but not just from a monetary standpoint, but from um, uh, like an intellectual standpoint, that the, the richness of their life um, in in all these different fields enhanced so they you know they were often um okay well they were taking psychedelics or they were using forms of sensory deprivation like uh vipassana or anyway so there's this core lining thread between some of these very successful people that that i'm that i'm intrigued by as well and and also following i guess that same sort of abstract pattern in in the growth of 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 my of what i'm trying to accomplish in in business and as well so um i think a lot of people resonate towards that because when you don't have a whole lot and you're looking at a people that have a significant amount of money the first thing is that we would generally think to ourselves is you know what would be my sustainability needs i think a lot of people look for i would like a home with a garden fresh water Um, and and i did i did all that with my first entrepreneurial career i bought a uh, two acres of property out here. I have a freshwater well. I have a, my solar backup system. This country has no military. All their extra tax dollars went to funding Medicare and education. So you have a uh, well-educated society. So there's almost no violent crime in Costa Rica whatsoever. So I went towards uh, a group of rich ideals instead of just uh, like, okay, I'm going to make as much money as possible because I didn't think that that was as important as well, at the end of my dying breath, I still I want to actually be a great singer. And there's no money aside from paying for teachers and experience that will that will bring me that. And I don't really care how much money that's worth. It's something that my, like I want to do, you know. So I think people really following their passions is something that um, I think brings all those abstract tapestries together because uh, you have mm. to be able to enjoy it. And you have to be healthy, and and it's easier to obtain physical health. Because uh, then, then financial um, wealth right, right away. So if you aim at, at goals that are rich and, and wealthy in character, you start to open those perceptual values, which really allow you to achieve significantly higher values of, of um, um, it, like um, financial value too. Because you know, and you Definitely. see this from a lot of um, like uh, what do you call it? Motivational speakers who have done who have done well. Gary Gary V is a proponent of you know just go out and do this hard work. Um, so we're trying to follow the, you know, we're trying to follow the same. I love Gary Vee now. Pat, right? He's such yeah. a gangster. He I just was gonna... like tells you to stop being a bitch. Like that's all his. <laughs> that's all he ever says. That's all. Every time I see one of his clips, he's like, "I knew, I knew, I just needed to stop being a bitch." And then that's that's what I tell everybody. And I'm like, "Man, you're so right, Gary. 
I'm gonna go look in the mirror right now and tell myself not to be a bitch. Well, like part of that, yeah. like following that same train of thought that you were speaking on earlier, I was that I have to bring this back again because it's relevant. But I was listening to the Shooter Jennings episode of uh, Joe Rogan, and he was talking about how a lot of the people who he knows who are, I guess, entertainers as like people in the entertainment industry spend a good portion of their money on ridiculous things because they don't like what they're doing to make that money. So they have to try and like spend a small amount of time not working, doing incredibly like incredible things to try and make up for that not like unenjoyment of working. And it, it's it's like this imbalance of I gain personal wealth but not like mental mental health or wealth sort of that type of thing. And what a lot of these types of, I guess, ideals that we're all chasing here, uh, they just, these fibers that connect these tapestries, as you put it, is, uh, I don't know, um, like, everyone has, like, has personal ideals and they want to do these things. But the things that, like, what differentiates the successful people is, in my opinion, personal responsibility. And and all of these types of things that we that we look for that we get excited about are kind of inf- like force you to look at personal responsibilities or take you outside of your box of of thinking to make you look at something in a different light that also pushes personal responsibility because you can want all these cool things but if you don't do the hard work and take responsibility for yourself you're never going to get them and in my opinion like bitcoin or cryptocurrency and blockchain moves the offloading of responsibility to central parties to your own because you control all this type of stuff and you're not going to be able to do it so you have to take like it 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 reinforces the idea of personal responsibility and it's like some of these kind of mind-altering drugs make you look at yourself and address these issues that you may have that you may never ever do if you don't get yourself outside of your own head and uh, things like this uh, and even like don't be a bitch right like this this self-help mentality of <laughs> of like stop being a bitch like what are you doing that's so wrong you're probably not taking responsibility for your own actions and that's that's kind of like the yeah. general like in my opinion backdrop or underlying thread to any type of personal success yeah, yeah there's a, a deep underlying purpose in the responsibility as well because it's you know, it, it often leads to responsibility to, to uh, other people, you know, to make sure that, uh, you know, we're often focusing on, on what we can do. And then when we find people that are good at what we are good at doing, it's about collaborating together and being, you know, OK, well, I'll continue being focusing and being good at what I'm doing, because if I'm the per- percussive or rhythmic part of the band, you know, you've, then you've everyone else does their job, everyone sounds good together. And, and I think the responsibility to oneself very quickly leads to responsibility to others, which is deeply rewarding. Um, so the for me, a big part of the an excitement about things like Bitcoin and blockchain is that as an entrepreneur, we're, we're able to operate outside of the, the, the old fiat government systems, which is something I've been in, incredibly fascinated by my whole life. So, so when the internet first showed up, when I when I was younger, I, the first things I was looking at is well, why is all my my name in capital letters on my birth certificate? And basically, I'm like, okay, so I'm sold to a corporation that says I'm a tax slave, and there's no real laws or legislations for me. And so, from a very young age, going from this type of understanding to taking to taking psychedelics as an entrepreneur, I drove very very far away from from center to to finally come back around the last few years to be like, okay, well, here's a position of responsibility to share in, uh, information and, and, entertain, and entertainment in the, in the best way that I, I know possible, which is, is that mix between all these coalescing ideas. So that you never really know what might get you caught down the rabbit holes. 
kind of content, which is if I'm talking, you know, someone who's never heard of a blockchain, but is interested in, in um, Mimosa Hostilis clicks on the video. And then what they're referred to next is, is something about blockchain is what the, 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 I guess the rabbit hole of the internet was for me. So it's like, oh, great. I'm taking up um, arms in, in, in fight club for, you know, the, the content because information is so valuable and people are, are more and more being given the privilege of egalitarian forms of content creation your our ability to have an audience right now this is all new forms of decentralization taking place and in every single field like a cell phone nowadays you could film uh like a cinema quality film on if if you do it properly so that the power coming back to the people i think is very noticeable in in every in every field. So uh, with the Arcane Bear, I wanted to dive in and be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm good at, I love talking and ranting. Um, and so this is a, 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 a place for me to share with what I'm good at, which is share that, that communication. And in, if any way it's valuable, people will, will enjoy it. So September last year, or, or um, sorry, June, July, I started Arcane Bear. I started ranting on YouTube about ant shares. I'm like, oh, ant shares, this could be cool. as like, because it's another form of Ethereum on it. Anyways, so we saw this huge growth and uh, I always kept um, kept things as wide open as possible. I would end the show with playing music every now and then or, or, or ranting about uh, some uh, book, a book or, or content I'd you know, I just read over that had nothing to do with blockchain. And I think that that human um, aspect, like like we're saying about the long form content just comes through significantly more authentic. So although a lot of people are looking directly for blockchain information, I think the people that have found interest in what I'm doing, which is, is ranting about my personal opinion, is they know that regardless of right or wrong, you're getting my opinion in, in a moment. And that's... Um, yeah. That's just, that's that's the best that you can hope for from <laughs> to some degree. So. Well, I remember like a hundred episodes ago, we would get hate mail from people saying that we don't talk enough about Bitcoin. Oh, we so, used to ramble like yeah, so hard tangents. Got, it, we yeah. kind of <laughs> made an effort to stay a little bit straight and narrow on the topics as much as we'd love to stray. But I mean, our community was really outspoken. Like we used to love your show and now you talk about street fighter like all day like what is going on with your show no yeah, <laughs> yeah so, well the reason our community needs to focus on what's more important and that is street fighter combos because they're not easy to pull off and if you think that they are then you should come on the show and we could debate that but um well i got a oh go ahead go ahead no, those are very important uh, survival tactics. One should have engraved in their uh, muscle oh, yeah. memory. It's it's necessity. <laughs> yeah, you can't you just can't go Eddie Gordo on everybody. It needs to be yeah. precise. If you can't do a spinning pile driver combo, then you there's a lot that you never accomplished in life. Oh. So that's what I'll say about that. All right, I'm gonna lob a fly ball at y'all. Y'all can probably answer this in like a minute or two. Um, someone wrote in. Uh, name is uh, Masha. Uh, apologies if I mispronounce that, but all the way from down under Australia, guys love the shows specifically uh, just the headers and seeing what tangents you guys go on. Uh, so I guess someone is a fan of tangents. Uh, I'm a bit confused about the Bitcoin network fees, and I hope that you can do a show to explain it. We're not. We'll just answer this question. But my confusion is why is there a network fee when there is block reward for miners and things are decentralized what is the fee collected being used for who uses the money who decides how it's used or does it get burnt i can i can handle this one 
Wait, I gotta. I'm gonna be that guy. You, show. you can't lean to your left shoulder because your whole face gets covered by our emblem on the show. Sounds like you're talking through our symbol. I'm new to this is. new stuff, man. Sorry. I was, yeah, I'll, there you go. There we go. Yeah. Reporting live. That's like ow now, brown cow. Ow now, brown cow. <laughs> I could just do the chocolate rain when I'm just. <laughs> All right, go for it. All right, so I'll see if I can do this succinctly. Um, there's two forms of incentivization for people to mine. Um, we're specifically talking about the Bitcoin network right now and other things like it in terms of how they structure their incentive model for mining. Um, and that is one for every block that gets introduced or added to the blockchain. Uh, the person who mines it, who finds the correct block and adds it to the blockchain gets rewarded with a certain amount of set Bitcoin. So right now it's 12.5 in four years from when it turned 12.5, it'll then half to was that 6.25. Yeah. And then four years after that, it'll half again. So you have this geometrically reducing amount of inflation of new brand new Bitcoin into the, into the, into the marketplace that's rewarded to the person that gets to add the block to the end of the blockchain. So it started out, it was quite a bit of Bitcoin. Well, there wasn't, the price wasn't that big. So you needed quite a bit of Bitcoin to incentivize people to run hardware on their homes, spend that energy to then try and add blocks and verify the network to the blockchain. Um, over time, since that number slowly and slowly and slowly decreases and the inflation rate decreases, that means that you need to, it's, the price has to change, right? Um, and so hopefully the price would go up as the amount of inflation decreases because there's, you know, purportedly more and more and more demand for people to get transactions into the block. And eventually that's going to be zero. So people are going to be mining the Bitcoin blockchain and they won't get a reward this, this automatic set amount of Bitcoin for adding something. So why would they be incentivized to mine? Well, the answer to that, which also answers a few things, is transaction fees. And so when you send a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain, you have to add a small amount of money called a transaction fee to give to the miner who ends up mining the blockchain or mining that block. And so what a miner does is they sort through all of the possible transactions that are waiting to get into the blockchain. They order them typically by the fee that's tacked on to that transaction. And they include the, the highest fees possible in as many transactions as they can get into a single block, which then means that if they mine that block, they get all of those transaction fees, which over time end up becoming the incentivizations mechanism for people to actually spend this money running hardware at their house or some mining farm and electricity to verify the network. And since over time, the that inflation rate that we talked about, that set amount, diminishes, eventually, the people who use the network will incentivize the people to verify the network fully, which is the, you know, kind of the decentralization thing. So you're paying a fee for people to verify your transaction for them. So you're not, but the decentralization part of this is that you aren't paying a single party. You're putting money into a pool and people are playing a game to win that money. They're, they're mining, which is essentially the equivalent of, pay, of playing a yeah. massive Sudoku with their computers 
to win a chance to get that money. And since it's evenly distributed in terms of fairness, you never know who's going to do it. And so that's the decentralization aspect. And so you have two different ways of doing it that kind of counterbalance themselves as time goes on and the inflation rate diminishes and diminishes. Hopefully, if you have an increasing amount of users over time, the price goes up and then you can fully incentivize the network to be run by the people who use it. Is that you think they think that's a fair way of explaining those things? Yeah, I think it's good. And, and to put that in perspective, guys, uh, or people listening, is, is is you say, oh, it doesn't really make much sense that the miners are just subsidized with minor fees. But let's say this is ubiquitous and everyone's using Bitcoin. If a billion people, which is a seventh of the people on the planet right now, were using Bitcoin and they all submitted a five cent transaction, that's $50 million right there. So that's more than enough to subsidize uh, miners, if this is ubiquitous, is if everyone's using Bitcoin or if Bitcoin is the bottom layer attached to everything, uh, the miners will be more than happy with just being subsidized with fees. Um, but at that point, they'll probably be nationalized too. And uh, weird sort of uh, staples of society um, because they'll have to be. They'll be arbiters of the truth. So we're talking about years and years and years from now hopefully so i hope that answers your question listener yep yeah well, thanks for yeah. listening so um ooh, miners are arbiters of the truth that's a powerful phrase i put on your v for vendetta mask on that one yeah i don't have i don't have my v for vendetta mask on me right now who's that guy what's that what's the name of that that mask uh, Chevy Chase, Guy Fox, Guy Fox. That's it. Yeah. Ah, I was close. Very. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so close. Uh, yeah, I was. I was. I was right there. I was right there. Uh, so what else, man? You call that an alley whoops? <laughs> an alley whoops? Is that yeah. it? Should we interview I, I, that or what? We can um, move to the interview and then and then yeah, come back to the bronze table and, and come back. So, Chella, do you think? All right, I gave him a pretty detailed. Uh, introduction but i i jacked it up he is uh andrew yang the democratic presidential candidate not the nominee because that's like two years away and i my brain was in the clouds so apologies on that but everything else is accurate um and what makes him unique is he is a political guy who not only accepts crypto in his campaign but i think he just really gets it and not from like a libertarian level i mean i think he really gets it and he's like a proponent of uh of the whole the whole nine d you're shaking your head what, what no politicians i don't think they get it. <laughs> okay. i'm trying to hype him up man i'm the flavor flavor of the podcast oh sorry, I him up. Oh, sorry. uh he's the best ever and uh <laughs> yeah. vote for him okay he reads the dictionary for fun <laughs> Um, it's what are you talking about? Why are you laughing at that? No, he's, um, he's not a racist either. Yes, that's I put him on the spot with that question, and he hit it out of the ballpark. Corey was so nervous he laughed uncontrollably. I didn't know <laughs> right where you're going. I, I didn't know where you're going with it, and I was like, "What is yeah. he? What is he saying? What's he saying?" Well, oh, yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyways, here it is. All right, hey everybody, we're here with the 2020 Democratic presidential nominee mr andrew yang he's a uh he's a unique guest because he's building his campaign on a 
platform of universal basic income and evolution to the next stage of capitalism. In addition to that, he's also the founder of Venture for America, which is a major nonprofit that places top college graduates and startups for two years in emerging U.S. cities. U.S. cities, And what that does is it kind of generates job growth and trains the next generation of entrepreneurs, which kind of aligns with what we do. Uh, so find out more at yang2020.com. Uh, Andrew, I know you've been making the rounds on media and other plat- uh, podcasts this month, so I hope we provide you a a kind of a, a unique take on things since we are a crypto podcast first and foremost. So thanks for being here and joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I just want a correction. I'm not yet the nominee of the Democratic Party, <laughs> but, uh, but we'll, we'll get me there. We're just looking forward. Yeah, I, it's a wishful thinking. I, I know no, you, happen. you guys are all about the future. You just <laughs> forecasted uh, about 18 months. Uh, what- <laughs> What I wanted to dive into first, uh, I don't know if this is a heavy-hitting question, but I, I just know that campaign finance laws are super, super strict. And that's Uh-oh, what kid broke through. It's all the way real. It's a part of the episode. <laughs> We're all humans here. We are all human. Humanity first. That's my slogan, by the way. <laughs> that's nice. My... Yeah, that works. Oh no! Excuse me for a second. Let me see if I, I can get uh, my son's mother to attend him. He misses me. I've been on the road in Iowa for about a week, um, and so my kids have been uh, missing daddy. Damien, daddy has to go find mommy so that mommy can occupy you, or Leora. <laughs> this is real life. This is a present. <laughs> yeah, can. we are live. Life. Hey guys. How about this? This show is brought Sorry. to you by. Sorry about that, guys. Just just <laughs> exhibiting my humanity. It's all a political ploy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you really set them up. You set them up to knock them down. If you're listening, audience, we not if you're listening, we know you're listening. But we we talked about that scenario. We planned that. That was that was a scripted moment. Yes. You know, I may be the least scripted political candidate I've seen so far. <laughs> hey, that works for us. It definitely works for us. All um, right. Uh, am I ready to fire a question at you? Yeah, please. Fire away. All right. Yeah, because I was wondering, because uh, uh, campaign finance laws are, are really strict, and that's kind of one of the big deals with uh, Donald Trump right now. But but that said, the the public ledger would be a really fantastic way to make campaign finances transparent. So I kind of wanted to start off uh, with you telling us a bit about your political background, your crypto background, and how those two intersected and kind of came together. Yes. So uh, I'm an outsider to the political system. I'm a serial entrepreneur who believes that we are quickly automating away millions of American jobs and we need to get our acts together and progress to the next form of capitalism as soon as possible. And uh, I can go a little bit more into that. But uh, the the reason why I believe Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016 is that we automated away 4 million manufacturing jobs between 2000 and 2015 in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, essentially the states he needed to win, the swing states. And we're about to triple down on that by automating away millions of retail jobs, truck driving and transportation jobs, call center jobs, fast food jobs, as well as a bunch of white collar jobs like bookkeeping and basic lawyering. And so uh, so I'm coming at this from an entrepreneur's perspective, saying our political establishment is just decades behind and not willing to confront the new economic realities. And uh, things are getting worse and worse as a result. Uh, 
So my crypto background is is very, very new and recent. I've had friends who've been into it for a number of years. Uh, but for me, what happened to me was I attended a blockchain for good conference. And I always had a basic understanding of cryptocurrencies and blockchain. But what, what I did not realize until attending that conference was just how tied together the goals of my campaign are and the general uh, views and values of the cryptocurrency community. Um, I've yet to meet, for example, a cryptocurrency holder that is anti-universal basic income, <laughs> which is like a flagship, like the central pillar of my campaign. Um, and to your question about campaign finance laws, uh, the current campaign finance landscape is a total disaster. I mean, Donald Trump and the entire um, Russian meddling uh, is one set of issues. But right now, because of Citizens United, you have um, the basic system, which I participate in. Um, and then you have this opaque super PAC system where the big money plays. Um, and uh, right now, it's really the worst of all worlds. And certainly the public ledger would be enormously helpful if everyone just could see where the money was coming from. That would be one big step. Um, but the even bigger step would be to balance it out such that either rich corporations can't outweigh the expenditures of ordinary people or we somehow increase the quote unquote like economic or politically people are locked out of their own system. Uh oh. Looks like we're having some connectivity issues. Andrew, you're there? Oh my gosh! I just gave some long, brilliant answer, um, and just we only lost captured. the last maybe five words. Ten seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we good. lost the last ten seconds. It was brilliant. I will agree with you. <laughs> we can do some sweet editing. <laughs> yeah, just make it sound brilliant at the end there. Um, but yeah, what, what was the last thing I said? I'm happy to try and uh, recast the point. Uh, I think it's like the differentiation between like kind of the two different systems of uh, super PACs and kind of the. Uh, inclusiveness of, of, I guess, normal people. Yes. So, so what I was saying at the end there was that um, right now we're in the worst of all worlds and the public ledger would make a dramatic difference, one by um, seeing who is spending what, but then the next step is balancing the uh, economic power of certain mega rich individuals and corporations and somehow either reducing that or giving people more um, economic or, or buying power or clout um, in the system. So issue one is transparency, and then issue two is actually trying to balance um, the, the, the power so that Americans aren't locked out of their own political process, which they essentially are right now. I can definitely see how crypto plays a, a huge role in that. I mean, it's, got some, it's got some space to move in terms of being able to be able to provide the type of platform that you're looking for, but it's set the ideology and framework and like core infrastructure to, to go that direction. And I think it's also a bit unwilling to compromise on those, on that ideal set in order to maintain, like to, to get to that scalability quickly, more, more along the lines of, um, they won't compromise on those types of, this is how this works. It's free and open to everybody. It's a public ledger and we'll find a way to scale maintaining those types of ideals. And so I think you need that type of thing to not have, to not just reiterate the past and have, create the same system, but maybe a little bit better. Yeah, and it's one reason why I found myself completely uh, aligned with and loving the cryptocurrency community, because you all are trying to build the future. Like you see 
the the blocks and you can see what they're going to become um and it's really in many ways the opposite of our current government system where they're trapped in uh bureaucracy of the past and we're all stuck with it i mean it's pretty mm -hmm. terrible and ridiculous uh and so I, I love the idea of trying to tap into the the potential um of the blockchain um and the public ledger to revolutionize our uh, citizenship, really, um, because that's the kind of movement we, we need. We really are decades behind, and it's gone from being um, like unwieldy to dangerous. I really like that you said that, and I've, it's something that I personally believe for a while that um, uh, our, our leaders just are not uh, giving us a reality. It's like they're not living in reality, and since they're not living in reality, the decisions that they're making are, are, are basically trickling on to everyone else. And so you mentioned something uh, about like the, this economic reality. Uh, like, what do you mean specifically that, you know, give us a specific example of, you know, they're living 20 years in the past and they're not uh, living in, in modern times as to how our current economy is behaving and how it will behave in the future. Sure. So if you're a Democrat or progressive, what is your basic prescription to every economic malady? Your prescription is education and retraining. Um, and that might have worked well at some point in the past. But then when you dig into our current numbers, where only 32 percent of Americans will attend a four year or will graduate from a four year college, and we've loaded them up now with one point five trillion of school debt, 38K ahead, and the underemployment rate for recent college graduates is now up to 44%. In other words, almost half of people that are lucky enough to graduate from college aren't doing a job that requires a college degree. Uh, and the college completion rate for people who start college is down to 59%. So you have 41% of people just don't get the degree and are still have suffering with these loans that they can't pay back, that they can't discharge through bankruptcy. So that's one example of living in the past where it might have been some decades ago saying, hey, like more college um, might have worked. But now the reality is if you get a college degree, it's as likely a trip to semi-permanent indebtedness <laughs> that it is uh, that mm -hmm. it is somehow like a path to some fruitful, fulfilling career. Um, but our politicians aren't acknowledging that harsh reality, and it's harsh. Um, and then you have to look at why the heck is college three times more expensive than it was 30 years ago? And the answer is that colleges have just larded up with vice deans and administrators to the moon, um, where they're not spending it on professors, they're not even spending it on facilities, they're spending it on their own bureaucracy. So, uh, so these are some of like the rough realities that our politicians just won't even talk about. I feel that to the bone, my friend. Um, yeah, it's very true. Um, I did, and a lot of friends that I know have been are now subscribed to a lifelong uh, journey of indebtedness because they wanted to get a higher education, and so. It, it's it's bad for the economy. It's bad for society. It's immoral. As president, one of my goals is to forgive a lot of that debt um, because I know what nonsense it is. Uh, I owed 100K in law school debt that took me many years to pay off. And I used to call it my mistress because I felt like I was sending a check to some phantom family in another town. 
Uh, but, <laughs> but it's like a it's really just a burden on our economy and our society because young people should be starting businesses, starting families, buying homes, buying cars, and instead they're paying off years old debt to help um, help hire more college administrators. Essentially, it's it's total bullshit. Yeah, I, I can. I, I feel the same way. I, I had a PhD and me, between me and my wife, we had over $150,000 in student loan debt. And it was it was a significant burden on my life. And I didn't see a way in which I was ever going to be, get out of it, even having a high paying job. Uh, and so like I was I was in a bad spot. And I was one of the few that had a really good job. And like without without crypto, this is not investment advice whatsoever. Uh, I wouldn't have got, been able to get out of that. I got lucky. And a lot of Likewise. people, the vast majority of people who are in the same scenario don't get lucky. And even if they get a really, really good job, they still live basically like a pauper because they're paying so much money to that mistress you spoke of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I, I should have called it like the master because it's like this past master <laughs> with a cat of nine tails. Aunt Sally but, Mae um, gets her but, money. Yeah, but it is Sally Mae, yeah, the mistress. But <laughs> one of the... The, the reasons why I love the cryptocurrency community so much is what hey, you just hey, described. I'm on an interview. Take it to mommy. Close my door. You forgot to Take mute to your mic. Oh, yeah. See, there we go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my bad. Uh, no worries. That's that realness. This show is all the way real today. Okay. Um, um, but, but what you just described and why I love the cryptocurrency community so much is that you went from uh, like struggling with scarcity, which is what the vast majority of Americans are now struggling with, um, to a sense of abundance. Um, and you recognize that it was like a combination of good fortune, timing, um, the fact that you invested in cryptocurrencies before the value went to the moon, etc. And then now when you experience abundance and the boots off of your neck, you're like, oh my gosh, like this is where it's at. You know, and then you look around and being like, wow, why are we plagued with so much scarcity when we have control of our own society and we can engineer a society of relative abundance pretty easily. Uh, and so that's my plan as president is to spread abundance, get people's heads up so we can start focusing on the really important questions and challenges of today, um, not in subsistence mode or not in paying back the, the phantom mistress mode. Um, which is unfortunately the way our system is currently designed. I feel like our system is currently designed to uh, keep most people under the boot. Yeah, and I really like to hark mm -hmm. on the like being in that much debt. The the actual toll it takes on a person's, I mean, for lack of a better word, soul. Like just when I was in all that student loan debt, I remember having a conversation with my mother. And she was like, I'm, I can't believe um, you're this old and I'm still paying for all the dinners. And I think I said some of the most evil <laughs> stuff to her centered around like I have bills that you would not believe from these student loans that I have. <laughs> so uh, you're just, yeah, just going to have to. It's legitimately soul crushing. Our current economic system is designed to try and um, try and wring our souls dry and people react poorly to scarcity like you're saying that to your mother is like a very human natural reaction when you're put in a position of scarcity i'll tell you i'm running for president right now and all the time i'm making decisions where um, i just like a, a, you know have to assume abundance 
Um, and it's a challenge. <laughs> you know, it's like, like it's something. It's like, oh yeah. By the time we get there, like yeah, we'll need those people. Like yeah, I'll need that. <laughs> you know, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's something I'm accustomed to as an entrepreneur. I'm always reminding myself, it's like, come on, man, like, you know, like, this is not, like, this is all old hat. Um, But that is one of the great challenges that humans are struggling with is this grappling between a mindset of scarcity and, like, quote-unquote practicality and then a mindset of abundance and optimism and possibility. And right now, certainly, the former is winning. Uh, Mm. And what we have to do like and this is my hope for the cryptocurrency community is that we have to spread uh the uh, mindset of and the real possibility of abundance to our fellow uh human beings as quickly as possible my campaign i hope is a chance to advance the species um because if we can get this boot off um and then we can make universal basic income a reality in the united states of america the rest of the Western world regards us as hopelessly backwards, particularly now. So if we were to start universal basic income here, that would set off a wave of it in most of the Western world. And then we'd advance the species. I mean, that's really what's on the table. Well, we're all like we're all advocates here of, of like future proofing yourself, you know, like learning code while you're a teenager. So you don't end up being a truck driver in your 40s. And then Elon Musk puts you out of a job. So if. If AI is going to replace 40 to 50% of jobs in the U.S. and, like, cause disruption to job markets in large waves, I mean, how do you prepare for that? Because you're advocating for AI, blockchain, crypto, the technology of tomorrow. And as a president, your job is to kind of help transition Americans through technical uh, advanced changes. So is this a delicate situation? Is this something that's kind of kind of take care of itself in, in 10 years? Like, what do we do? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you just put hit the nail on the head because I think my job as president is to get society through these changes because they're going to be devastating and terrible to many, many people. Now, unfortunately, other people do not regard the situation as this serious and dire, which it is. And they don't see the job of the president as getting us through this this crisis, which it should be. Um, So I think imminent technological changes are going to do a number on many, many Americans' livelihoods. And I went through them briefly before, but this is not even the far out stuff. So here are the top five labor categories in the United States of America right now. Administrative and clerical, including call center workers, is number one. Number two is retail and sales. Number three is food service and food prep. Number four is truck driving and transportation. And number five is manufacturing. These five jobs comprise about half of all American workers. Uh, They get paid about 15 bucks an hour, average education in high school or one year of college. And all five of them, you can see very clearly, are going to shrink a lot in the next five years. Like 30% of malls are going to close in the next four years. Uh, Call center workers are going to get replaced by AI. Truck drivers, most common job in 29 states. There are three and a half million truck drivers, average age 49, 94% male. I mean, how's that going to go down? It's going to go down incredibly badly. So these are the realities we're facing right now. And our government is completely out to lunch. So we can look at everyone and say, hey, try and future proof yourself, which I absolutely encourage and people should do it. Um, But realistically, what percentage of people do we think are going to successfully stay ahead of this particular tide? Like, what do you guys think? Oh, very small, a, a minuscule fraction of the people you just mentioned. 
in my personal opinion. I mean, it, it takes a lot of like talent and time and education to get to a point that you can offer something to the job market that is required for that type of like to, to, to get out of those types of jobs. And some of those people won't do it, can't do it, uh, don't have the like the, the specific life situation to be able to set themselves up to do it, so on and so forth. I don't I don't see I completely agree. Yeah. Like like I, I think that percentage is also minuscule. Yeah. Uh, and so we'd have to look at it and say, realistically, it is impossible for hundreds of thousands of 49-year-old former truck drivers to reinvent themselves for the job market, particularly when the job market really is going to have less and less need for many, many types of uh, skills and, and, um, and forms of human labor very, very quickly. Because, you know, in, in another era, maybe you go from driving a truck to being a Walmart greeter, but like now retail is going to close too. Like we, we have to start getting really, really mm. honest and also forward thinking. So I've got a three-step major, major plan to try and get society through this. The biggest is the freedom dividend, which is universal basic income of $1,000 per American adult per month, free and clear, no questions asked, do whatever you want. Um, and that would create 4 million new jobs in communities around the country, would grow the economy immediately, and would enable people to be able to uh, better transition uh, make the labor market more dynamic, keep people whole, keep people sane uh, in many respects. So that's like the, the first big move. Can we, can we, um, can we pause and, and dive in a little bit on that one? Of course. How, where do the 4 million jobs come from and where does the yeah. 1,000 per head come from? So the 1,000 per head comes from a few things, um, four things actually. So the headline cost of $1,000 per American adult is a little more than $2 trillion a year. It's about $2.1 trillion. Um, so we get about $500 billion from current spending on 100-plus welfare programs. Um, not that we're replacing those programs uh, because the new universal basic income is like an opt-in, but if someone's already receiving like over $1,000 in, in benefits, then we're not giving them an additional $1,000. So it reduces the headline cost by about $500 billion. The second big move we have to make is we have to create a new tax that actually benefits from AI automation, robot trucks, and the rest of it. Because right now, income taxes often will not. Ah. And the beneficiaries of automation will be very big tech companies that are great at moving their taxes through Ireland and not paying a lot. So we have to get some of that revenue and the way to do that is through a value-added tax, which is something that every other major economy except for us already uses. Uh, and our economy now is at $19 trillion, up $4 trillion in the last 10 years. So a value-added tax would generate $800 billion in new revenue um, if we had one at even half the European level. And then the, the third and fourth things that people on this podcast would be most excited about is that if you grow the consumer economy by $2 trillion, which we would be doing, um, then you get back $500 billion in new tax revenue because of all of the new spending. And you asked about the 4 million new jobs. What are people going to spend money on if we give them 1000 bucks a month? So just think about people in your community. What are they going to spend it on? Bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bills. Uh, Amazon. A lot of Amazon purchases. Crypto. Uh, if it's yeah, an I mean, argument, you might spend it on crypto. That'd be pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty awesome. 
Um, so, so uh, what, what I was uh, suggesting is that they're going to spend it on food, car repairs, like stuff for their kids, like mundane everyday stuff. That's what I consider bills, um, yeah. Yeah, bills. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but a lot of that money is going to go to local restaurants and, uh, you know, car repair shops and whatnot. So the four million jobs comes from just businesses doing more business because there's more money being spent in their communities. Uh, I mean, some of that money is certainly going to go to Amazon. Uh, but then the great thing is with that, then um, we get a slice of that with each transaction that goes back to the people. Yeah. Um, so so that's the, the third big source of the money is new tax revenue. And then the fourth okay. is that if we alleviate gross poverty, uh, by some estimates, we'd increase GDP by $700 billion because of better health outcomes, better mental health. Uh, higher graduation rates, better worker productivity, and we'd be spending less on things like incarceration, healthcare and emergency rooms, homelessness services, because we'd be keeping people more functional um, in a more efficient way by spending $1,000 a month. So with those numbers added up, you actually get to the full cost of the freedom dividend um, with some left over. Realistically speaking, though, how much harder would it be to implement a universal basic income plan from the presidential level as opposed to aiming for state legislator where you can try to get a state experiment going? Is it going to be harder to have that that vision, that goal from the top of the hill? Well, there there is one state that has had a form of this in effect for 36 years. And that's Alaska, where everyone gets between one and two thousand dollars from oil money every year. And that was implemented by a Republican governor in a deep red state uh, with the argument that who would you rather get the money, the government who's going to waste it and do something stupid with it or you. So uh, on that level, it's been done. Um, certainly, we're going to have to trial it in certain places. But if you look back at history, a law much like this passed the House of Representatives in 1971 under Richard Nixon. Martin Luther King was for it. Milton Friedman was for it. And all you need is an act of Congress. So if Democrats win Congress and I become president um, and everyone knows that I've run on giving everyone $1,000 a month, then all you need is an act of Congress and we can start piloting it and then getting checks out. All right. So that took care of the first the first bullet point. Let's move on to the, the other one. Yes. So the second is pretty straightforward and, and maybe of interest to people here is that we need to move to um, single payer public option for health care, Medicare for all, because 94 percent of the new jobs created since 2005 have not had health care benefits attached to them. And uh, our health care costs are just spiraling out of control uh, because our system rewards activity instead of actual healthfulness. If you go someplace, the more stuff they do, the more money they make. Um, and so we have to get the incentives right. And the way to do that is to move towards a, a public option. And then the, the, the third thing is the thing that you guys will be most interested in, possibly, um, which is that we need to start measuring our economy in new ways. Since GDP is going to keep going up and up, even as more Americans get pushed into economic oblivion, uh, GDP is something we made up less than 100 years ago during the Great Depression. And so we need new measurements around things like mental health and freedom from substance abuse, childhood success rates, median income, 
environmental sustainability proportion of elderly who can retire in good situations um, and then use those measurements for the economy. And uh, what the cryptocurrency community may be particularly uh, excited about is that the way I would try and monetize things that move society in those directions would be with a new currency that would likely be on the blockchain locally administered. Because if you think about it, um, the activities that we're going to have to push people towards if we're displacing so many workers, which we are, um, we need to somehow uh, incentivize that and provide structures and reinforcement. And using dollars um, has some real drawbacks. So what we need to do is create a new currency um, and then use that to monetize this new marketplace that rewards people for volunteering in the community, taking care of uh, uh, the elderly, nurturing children, um, arts and creativity, really all the positive stuff that we're going to need much, much more of and we're going to need to build a new economy out of. I think it's great that you mentioned that. You probably love uh, one of the shows on our network uh, with Reese Lindmark. He does a show basically focused on projects just like that. Um, um, but it would be interesting if a token were issued or you had a wallet that tokens could be airdropped to and you pay in these tokens for certain you know, infrastructure uh, projects in your local community. And by showing that you paid in that certain cryptocurrency or that certain token, uh, maybe you get benefits uh, or, you know, you get discounts or, or bonuses or whatever it goes to for paying for future infrastructure projects in your community or, or even at the national level. Like, I think like the first question everybody asks when, you know, I think Elon Musk wants to build these like hyper tunnels, these hyperloops. And he wants these interconnected loops to you know, go east to west coast. But who's going to pay for that? Well, I think cryptocurrency kind of offers a, an inlet there. Uh, I like yeah, that. In, so you were right. Infrastructure is on the list of things um, that we need to incentivize. Like if you have displaced truckers and they can um, install like an array of solar panels, I mean, that's like an enormous win on multiple levels. And we would use the new currency for this. We could also use dollars for that. Um, but you, the the line of thought you just described is exactly spot on. Hmm. I would, uh, and I'd like to take it back to something you said earlier in the talk about like relative abundance. And a lot of people in crypto, and a lot of economists claim that like Bitcoin cannot be a store of value, and yada yada yada. But the interesting thing happens is that whenever its value in relation to the dollar increases, uh, people spend it. And there's data to show that. And me, as personally, um, anecdotally, when when Bitcoin's price was up, I was way more likely to spend it just because, um, you know, there's a feeling of abundance. And that feeling is like, oh, you know, I, I'm OK with parting with this value. And and that happens with, when, when you're dealing with abundance. And so I just wanted to go back and kind of harp on that. Well, that, that's exactly right. Like I've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs over the last number of years, and the vast majority of them are, are in a position of relative abundance where they can uh, say yes to spending money on trying to start a new business. Yes, I'm putting their time into that. That uh, abundance spurs activity. It spurs value creation. It spurs optimism. Um, and scarcity spurs the opposite. Uh, and so that that's the fundamental challenge we have in society right now is to 
spread um, both a mindset of abundance and actual abundance to more and more people. Mm -hmm. And also about retail going out of business. Yeah, malls are going to be the malls in the future are going to be virtual reality, augmented reality arenas, and people are actually going to be going to them and they're going to be awesome. So clean mall, I'm looking at you. I'm going to buy you for under a million dollars someday and I'm going to turn you into a virtual reality arena and everybody's going to love it. So, you know, I I grew up going to the mall. (laughs) Like I have a very, very strong attachment to malls uh, and I would love it if we could use them for anything awesome. Yeah, because now I go and it's just a bunch of, I don't know, malls are not what they used to be. No. I, know that. <laughs> I know that much. It should just no, be like, a giant paintball arena, really. It's a waste of space. It's well, just not what it used to be. You know what? what's wild is just how negative they become very, very quickly. Like they, they go from being like massive commerce generators to blight <laughs> in like no time. And so we, we need to... Um, provide some kind of incentives for um, both entrepreneurs and uh, communities to make better use of them because they're enormous. They have massive parking lots. Like it's very, very hard to make them non-spooky. Yeah. So, so, so you're running for president, and and not all of running for president is is fiscal, and uh, your viewpoints on fiscal policy, and you know, most recently in my adult life, uh, weird notions. And emotions have been thrust upon me that I didn't see happening in my lifetime because of my upbringing and where I grew up. So I just want to ask you a question. I think it's a very simple answer, but for some reason, people try to make it a difficult response. And I just need to know, uh, are you racist? It should be like a yes or no, but for some reason, (laughs) but for some reason today, that's not a yes or no question. So... So uh, I would say the the way it's conventionally understood, no, I am not racist. Yay! Um, that uh, easy to say. Go ahead. Yes, but like my outlook, and and this is fueled in part because I grew up an Asian guy uh, in like a non-Asian part of New York State. Um, I, I think that there's like a background level of racism, like pretty much at all times. Um, uh, and so the, the goal is not to somehow get inside people's minds and souls and like, you know, like correct their wrong thinking or something along those lines, because that's impossible. I mean, if there's a way to do it, like, you know, maybe we could talk about it. Um, like, like the, the things you have to curb are first, like, like actions that are supported or reinforced by the state, um, that, uh, that are racially unjust, uh, you know, and so like police brutality is like an obvious one. Um, then the second is corporate endorsed actions that are racially unjust. And then third, individual actions that are racially unjust. So it's OK, frankly, if you see me and see, oh, Asian guy, and then you like make an assumption about like my love of gambling or my driving ability or something like <laughs> I don't care. Um you know, and, you know, it turns out I do like to gamble. <laughs> so, um, uh, like the things that like are, are bothersome is if you can like act in a way that like, you know, makes my life unhappy or miserable. Um, and then like even worse, if you have like the backing of a company or state to like make my life miserable on the basis of, of, of my race like those. So it, it's not about like thought police type stuff. Um, it, it's about like whether you act in a way that persecute someone on the basis of their racial 
um, identity. And so I can categorically say that I'm not in the practice of like persecuting anyone on the basis of their racial identity. I mean, like quite yeah. the opposite. Like I, I would suggest to anyone listening to this that universal basic income would be the single biggest move you could make towards some measure of racial equity in this country because um, people who've been historically excluded would benefit more from $1,000 a month than people who are at the top. Um, and so uh, there, there's something, again, the slogan of my campaign is humanity first, which I would suggest is the opposite of uh, holding like racist beliefs. Thank you for answering that short and sweet. You think it would be easy, but some days I turn on the news and I'm like, why is anyone not just saying that's racism? I'm curious, like, what's going on right now? I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. So I have but, to, uh, well, well, I have to, I have to move this conversation to something that I know our listeners are going to want to hear before we before we end with you, and, and that's going to be like like the, the crypto community has spawned a generation of people that think about investing in a very different way and how to spend money, how to hold money, how to use money. Um, but in the U.S., we have go, we have a lot of regulation around um, how to tax that type, this type of income or investment or however you'd like to place it, and it and it. And it it stifles, I think, a lot of potential businesses that can spur from using this technology. How, how do we start to reclassify the idea of digital currency uh, in terms of regulation so that we can, we can enable these types of new businesses, like a very tech forward new business that has, you know, automatically global impact in terms of like the types of clients it can have? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you parse that C? How do you navigate that C to allow us to at least have clear definition on how to tax this new money investment, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's a fascinating question. So my understanding is that right now the U.S. is um, uh, essentially letting a lot of stuff uh, like go undefined, which is problematic. Um, it, it is the case, though, that, uh, you know, I would suggest that there are going to be some downsides to when the government does start to define a lot of things <laughs> like people might. Uh, might actually appreciate like the current confusion <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. Um, the, so uh, my my honest feeling on this is that like right now um, the the U.S. tax system advantages capital and investment income in ways that really don't make much sense um, because if you think about it for a moment, particularly in a world where. Um, you're trying to find reasons for people to use labor and employ people. You actually would not want to advantage um, investment income over like labor income. Um, if anything, you would want labor income to be tax free so that people would have more of an incentive to work and more of an incentive to hire. Um, but that's too big a change. Like that's not something we can really do. So, so I'd understand that there's like, like I, I would suggest that balancing them out would be like a logical move um, so that it's not like, you know, you pay like 30% income tax, then like, you know, 20% on, on investment income. Um, uh, it's like to the extent that taxes are discouraging innovation um, in the technology space, like that strikes me as um, unusual in the sense that most of the startups have been associated with like we didn't pay anything in taxes because we didn't make any money, <laughs> you know, for like a long time. I mean, there was a lot of administrative nonsense we had to deal with. So in that, that sense, there was like a tax in our time. 
Um, but but certainly, if you're not making a lot of money, then there there shouldn't be like that much of a tax burden, um, and, unless you're talking about like another form of business that is like somehow handling capital flows in a way that actually produces the tax burden. All right, Rich. I think a lot of people like that. I think it's good. it's not an easy. The thing no. that you mentioned that the definitions, no, what that's that's one of my biggest frustrations with government is that um, it seems like the people that are comprising the government nowadays are unaware that things are tough and we put them into the position to, as a group, solve the tough problems. And like, that's, as, you know, like we're well aware things need definitions and it's hard to define them. Um, but that's what you're there for. And that's kind of like why we put you there. And oh yeah, I mean, most government officials don't have the foggiest understanding of what <laughs> what the budget. Or, they don't even understand what Facebook yeah. is. I don't know if you guys saw some. Yes, the that was the most telling. I watched the hearings, the Zuckerberg hearings, and I was like, "Man, we're just gonna be screwed for a while, I guess, because they don't <laughs> even know how Facebook works. So uh, this is gonna be rough." Um, but. Well, that's one reason I would gently suggest that having someone like me, who's like a 43 year old, um, like tech entrepreneur type, um, as president would be such a great leap forward because the, the other folks I'm running against were literally born in like the 1940s. <laughs> you know what I mean, like expecting them to be with it is going to be unrealistic. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, like, uh, one of the reasons why it feels like Washington DC is decades behind is because, like a, a lot of these these folks like are you know of advanced ages uh when you go to washington dc in particular it feels very old and conservative um yeah i, I don't know if you guys i mean i live there yeah if you live there then you know what i mean i mean at the end of the day i'm just like why at a certain point aren't you like our president's 70 years old like retire why do you still you're you're wealthy like just just retire just go Go be an elder. What's wrong with being an elder? It's like a great position to be in in life because I'm sorry you're 70 and you can't relate to the reality that the majority of the population is in right now. Like you've built wealth, you're established, you you know, have done things, you've maybe even been a part of creating laws and all that's great. Go sit down. Like give us a <laughs> give us a chance to hold the reins, please. I, um, I said to my team the other day, um, when I'm 70 years old, I hope I have the grace to get the fuck out of the way. That's a lot of grace, yeah. I think, especially when you've been yes. having having a significant amount of power for a long period of time. Letting go of something like that is not an easy thing to do. By like, Well, I, I told my team, I was like, quote me on that shit and then feel free to bring it up <laughs> to you if I'm, like, if I'm like hanging on at 70 and like, you know, just get me out of the way at that point, please. I kind of want a president yeah. that says, quote me on that shit, just in general. Quote me on that shit. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> if I see you do like an interview on CNN and you say to somebody, Google that shit, like, get out of here with that question. Like, I'm kidding. But that was that's amazing. Uh, well, I will say if, if you are elected president, will you make time to still come on our show? Um, for sure, guys, because if I'm elected president, then uh, I have a feeling the cryptocurrency community would have had something to do with it. <laughs> All right. We'll take oh, that. On, on that note, let me say that my campaign does accept uh, Bitcoin, uh, Ether, and a number of other the major cryptocurrencies 
And then if you go to yang2020.com slash crypto, um, you can fill out a form and then make a donation. But I really do need your support uh, to build the sort of economy and future that we know is possible because the people listening to this podcast re- represent like a very narrow tribe, honestly. Yeah, like a, it's sure. like on the far right of the far right of like the curve. And we need to drag the rest of society in your direction as fast as possible. And I need your help to do it. So please do go to yang2020.com. Um, we do accept, uh, we accept fiat too, but like, you know, if you ha- have some um, cryptocurrencies that you're comfortable parting with, uh, uh, we'd love it. Yep. Can I, can I, can I read the directions for that? For um, oh yeah please please so uh, this is coming straight from the website here's how it works everyone step one agree to the contribution rules by clicking the button below next uh, uh two complete the form three book a 15-minute phone call with a member of the compliance team after they verify your info uh, provided on the call they'll send you their wallet address uh send uh crypto donation uh, individual maximum is 2500 for crypto, um, five, uh, do not share their wallet address as it it, it it could make it possible for others to make untraceable donations to their campaign to your campaign. Um, and, and then if we did get an untraceable donation, we'd just be forced to like not be able to use it, which would be sort of silly and stupid. <laughs> but yeah, that's just money that would sit, couldn't really be used for anything. You could always send it back. Burned but, crypto. Well, you could send it back. Yeah. 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 If we knew how to, if we knew where it came from, we would send it back. It's true. I think the, and the beauty of this is that you're actually putting a public ledger to use. So everyone that donates, it's on the public ledger. You know, and it's, it's almost like a a nascent educational point for all of society. If this, you know, this goes well, is that they can see the power of a public ledger. And you can say, like, hey, look, here's all the donations. All of them are under 2,500. But here's, I guess, one thing you worry about. Like, what if there is a price fluctuation to the good? And now all of a sudden your $2,500 donation has become a 10K donation. What it's, do you just... it, was, it was law-abiding at the time of donations, so it's not that big of a deal. And what's nice about that is that I, as a data scientist, I can permissionlessly go and look at all of these types of things to see that it's playing by the rules, and like the, at least within the context of these specific donations. And I can see the distribution mm. of people who who give money to him and see like it's it's coming from unique addresses. This is a lot of people coming together to give him money as opposed to one guy with some specific agenda giving you a tremendous amount of money, which tends to be how things work now. Yeah, mm. you, you said it, man. There's a lot of power getting concentrated in the hands of a handful of folks. And so that this is and this is one of the fun parts about my campaign is that it, it truly is a democratic process. We're getting contributions from uh people around the country and the most touching contributions i get are like when i get like five dollars from uh like a walmart reader in in um, mississippi or like a truck driver in south dakota which i do get i uh, like you know contributions that um you see it and you think like wow that person really um sees something in, in me and in my campaign uh and i feel like their contribution is really meaningful mm. Well, do we do we wrap it there, guys? I hate to take more time. I could ask questions for days. Yeah, well, we do got one question. Yeah, we have one question to ask you, and um, in ten words or less, Mr. Yang, can you define blockchain? 
um, so the, the blockchain is a system of public. Well, let me try that again. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're cognizant of the 10 word limit. Most people just blow right past it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm trying. I, I pride myself on this sort of thing. So the blockchain is a public ledger that tracks transaction and makes them completely transparent uh, and untamperable for anyone else. Oh, sorry, Ooh. you failed. That's 19 <laughs> words. That's 19 oh my words. gosh, I blew past it so badly, man. What I will tell you, though, is for a politician, 19 over, tw- 19 over 10, not too shabby. Not too well, shabby. thank you, guys. I appreciate getting the, <laughs> the, the politician license. Um, a lot. <laughs> and, and, and thank you. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your time. And it's been an amazing interview. I hope you do come back, maybe even come back in the throes of uh, the touring for your for your campaign. Uh, give us a little time while you're on your your, your bus or however you're going to be traveling the country to talk to people in person. You know, um, stop by and, and you come yeah, back. Would, would, would love that. If you guys um, uh, sign up on the website, um, I am going to be doing a bus tour of the country. And then if, if your information is on the website, then we'll notify you when we come to your area. That'd be tremendous. Nice. Hey, listeners, you can do that too. So, Bus party. Yeah, let's bus do it. Let's build the fu- <laughs> let, yeah, bus party. Let's bus do it. Party. Let's, let's build the future. Let's spread abundance and uh, and really the opposite is is a dark dark future because like I you know like AI is real autonomous vehicles are real um, we have to get our shit together as fast as we can and it's going to be you all and the people in this community that help lead the way so thank you all very much and that was the interview with Andrew Yang twenty twenty. Yeah, Yang, yeah, Yang, Andrew Yang, twenty twenty. I bet why, you never heard a president get so candid. Why you even gotta have a president nowadays? It doesn't make no sense. Or a presidential candidate. Sorry, presidents we are weird. Like, the idea of a president like, is weird. Yeah, one guy in charge doesn't make no sense. That's some. But is he like how much <laughs> charge do they have? Right? Like I don't know. It's, I think people put I a lot of lot, lot of like the president does everything, and like in reality, like gets in the office is like I can't do anything. Yeah. Have you seen those side by sides of presidents before they get in the office, and then when they leave, like their term, <laughs> how like much gray hair they have and like wrinkles in their face? Like it ages them by like twenty years. Well, I mean, when every other month you're hit with the decision, like you know, do What's we pay? kill this many people Not or do good. we kill that many people? What do they get? Uh, what do they get paid? Fifty? Is it one hundred fifty a year? I don't know. It's not. It's I think it's one hundred. Why? Why would you ever want to take that job? <laughs> I, the power. I mean, we know how to make that with and not do anything for more than te- like an hour a week. <laughs> Doesn't I mean, make any sense. There's no sense behind this. Something's wrong. <laughs> well, it's a it's a duty thing. It's not. It's definitely well, not supposed. It to be should be. It should be a duty thing. Yeah. You you can't look at it any other way, or well, it doesn't yeah, make can, sense. The, yeah, the bank, power. The bank accounts. The bank accounts of of the of the previous presidents, I think, start to make a little more sense. <laughs> Where did this money come from? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not an American, and I'm not very good at uh, researching whose bank account has what. But uh, if they're getting paid that little, and then ha- end up with that much more, what type of? Yeah. Where did that come from? This, 
wrong. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, 145 is not a little bit of double McDoubles, right? I mean, double. I mean, that's still a good chunk of change, but no, it's not. It's see, it's not though. It's not. It's not a whole. It's not. You can you can make that amount of money selling uh, uh, yoga ball chairs on the internet every six months if you're good. Like you could make that much money selling Smurfs. So why the hell are you going to take on that much that much gray hair? You could talk about Smurfs. <laughs> it doesn't. There's no logic yeah. behind any of that. Well, that's. I think that's the point of it all, is that there is no logic behind it. But somebody's got to do it, right? Because if everybody had the mentality like, let's go out there and sell those blue rubber bands and make 145k a year, um, then nothing would get done ever, and there'd be no roads, there'd be no anything. So, so the the people you you have to look at politics altruistically or logically. It doesn't make sense. Like no one would do that, right? No, especially if somebody in a position like Trump, right? Let's just talk about him. He's a billionaire, supposedly. Why would he take a job making a hundred six figures a year? Power, uh, narcissism. For him, him is a different story. But just going on that vein of logic is is, is you have to think about it. Yeah, should we yeah. go one by one and say our thoughts about Trump? Is that this kind of no? One word at a time. Yeah. One word at a time. Like when yeah. we build the sentence. Uh, yeah. Um, Good lord. Hey, but but I like, think... before before we got into this, but like we were we were chatting and uh, the the behind the scenes YouTube stream got a, got a load of this, but like you were talking about like the the in entrepreneur mindset, which kind of ties back into this type of stuff, and the and and when you look for a specific type of person to work with when doing whatever type of endeavor you're trying to do, it makes a huge difference in, I guess, uh, the outcome of that or like the enjoyability of working on that project. Can you like, and I think crypto has a lot to do with, you said it's hard to find these types of people, but when you do, it really works out. Who are these people? And I, I cause I think crypto plays a role in help e- making it easier to find these types of people because the ideology is overlapping. Can you can you kind of re- recap that a bit? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it comes back to that the abstract conversation we we're having about these seemingly disconnected tapestries is that um, so when I was younger, it was very cliche to have seen an article come out about MDA or something like this. But nowadays, uh, Forbes is uh, coming out with articles around hallucinogens all the time. And I think the the change of, of philosophy overlapping with business has been getting closer and closer. So with the advent of, of blockchain, I think it's done a, another step f- further, which is bring a lot of these uh, open-minded uh, I guess volunteerist or libertarian individuals, because some of the first Bitcoin I bought was at a, around ninety dollars. Like, oh, this is fantastic! Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it would catch on the way it did. But it, um, as I've learned more, it makes a lot of sense. But um, working with individuals that are, are, are focused on on just a particular set of salary, they don't really push the boundaries and, and risk what's necessary to, I think, create. Some of the because it's kind of a it's kind of a battle against not a not a, a direct fight but replacing these older decaying ecosystems is is definitely going to take a lot of work and and often with necessity being the mother of all invention of an importance like you see in Venezuela or in in Turkey right now c- countries don't really generally move towards adoption until something shows them what's wrong with their current financial e- ecosystem so 
um, growing and, and working with different people in the space as entrepreneurs, you find a, a lot of these values connect because now for the first time, instead of getting paid, because we've been, you know, we've taken payments in, in Bitcoin for some of the, the work we do in, in marketing and advertising for consulting or, or helping with content creation, because it's it's what I've done my whole life. It just makes it makes sense to continue um, doing stuff like that. And for the first time, being able to operate in 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 a money without using the SWIFT system by using these decentralized, non-government created, non-forcefully, uh, um, which is what fiat kind of essentially means to me is basically it's forced into circulation and use. Like because if you use something else, you'll generally get in trouble. Or it, it's money it by decree, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So money, but, and that's, and law basically means by force, because if you don't listen, what are the consequences? So to some degree, law stipulates that there's consequences for not following by what the decree was. Anyways, the point of this sentiment was that as an entrepreneur, being able to operate without using the US dollar or the Canadian dollar, which in my uh, agree are, are s- like robbers of, of, people because of known inflation through money printing, which is a direct like stab at people who aren't paying attention to the fact that, hey, every 2% every year, 2% inflation, but wait over 50 years, that's 100% of my purchasing power gone. That the, like that, that fight um, or that, um, that common misunderstanding is, is, isn't noticeable to people until it's almost too late. And so um, for me as an entrepreneur to be able to sidestep into building it or trying to build businesses that operate um, with this new uh, financial ecosystem, as well as educate people, this was hugely inspiring. And and I've been able to meet lots of people that are focused as, as entrepreneurs, because we realize, I think the importance of um, free market values that even though to, to, we give light to things like the Silk Road, which is going to happen anyways, that offers freedom to the people that don't know what's going going wrong and aren't necessarily looking to take advantage of other people. Um, it, it like because the Silk Road is a very sm- a very small percentage of what the use case of of decentralized uh, control was because you, you te- technically shouldn't be able to stop. Um, you can find out who did it, but you can't necessarily stop the transaction from taking place. And that's that's what we found. Like they were able to arrest people and take down the websites because they were front end public facing, but they were not able in any way to stop the transactions. They were able to seize them by, again, arresting people. So the technology itself has proven mm-hmm. censorship resistant. We're, we are still the weakest part of the of the technology is because anything that comes to pass in our failure will be because of things that, that we do. But I, I think that the with all these aligning values in so many different entrepreneurial fields, especially being able to operate without using a, a money that it just has so many, so many negative emotions attached to it is a very phil- philosophically driven concept that, uh, so that's been one of the really interesting things is finding more entrepreneurs and people that are, are driven by this uh, desire to decentralize power to, uh, to the, the, the billions on the planet that have been taken advantage of with, without them being able to pay attention almost at all, because why should they care? They live beautiful lives like uh, farming and, and, and living with their family. Like that's one of the richest ways to live, mm-hmm. uh, you know? So I, I don't, I don't think that they're poor in, in any particular value set, and, but they've definitely been taken advantage of with through their unknowingness. And that's, um that's our, our, our own fault because we've allowed it as well. And they, um, I think a lot of people with entrepreneurial spirit have a really innate ability to um, manage risk. I think it's just part of it. Like you have to manage risk in all things that you do. And I think if you have an entrepreneurial spirit, 
if you can't manage risk well, um, don't even start. Like, don't go into on, on trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to do your own thing. Um, because basically what man, managing risk in a nutshell is like critical thought that you project into the future. Right. If I do this action, how is it going to affect these other five actions that I need to do later in time? And if you can't manage the risk of doing that one action and how it's going to correlate with those other things, then don't start. Just go get yourself a job and love it. Isn't like, that what like, skin in the game is all about? Kind of managing risk. and. Um, I guess so. I haven't read that book. Well, that was, a hard, that was a hard stop to my point. <laughs> I haven't read that. Are you? Fro- oh, you're frozen on my screen. My bad. Um, and also frozen on the live stream. By yeah, the it's way. like speed. Like I just don't want people to. So it's just I'm on a loop. Yeah, <laughs> a loop of your eyes yeah. closed. Yeah, if I want to go to the bathroom, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just. Are we just gonna keep it going? Let's just keep it going. Nobody cares. Um, but. I never, I never read Skin in the Game, but it just makes sense. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be able to manage risk. And then the highest risk ever is what you just talked about, To is bringing people into your circle to work with you. Is you know you, you're taking a risk because they're never gonna 100% see the visions that you have, especially if you founded something, founded some ideas, some something. It just never works. It's your job to communicate it to them. But if you're doing a poor job communicating it to them, your risk grows higher and higher as they're like, I don't, what am I doing here with this new thing? What am I, what is this even about? Well, part of that, part of that is picking people that are receptive to the message you're trying to communicate. Like if if you're going to work with somebody, they need to at least be able to understand the words you're going to tell them. And if they don't have, they don't get the overall vision. They don't, if they don't align with it, then getting them to like meet the expectations that you may have or trying to communicate is much more difficult and that's that's a part of just i don't living like you do that with everything right like you you typically surround yourself with the people that can actually listen to you or capable of listening to you and the ones that don't you you naturally move away from because the conversations are much harder yep and the the internet has made the automation of certain tasks it's like okay well if, if i hire someone that's from the western world that can do pretty much an equivalent job to someone that lives in in a, an Asian country, um, they're going to charge me ten times less. It's like, well, I know where I'm going to go <laughs> to spend the money to build the same company because uh, unless it's really really important to to utilize this person for those skills, and in which in, in that case, I look for people that that are entrepreneurs because then I don't have to worry about trying to pay them. They they know how to acquire or they're used to the process of okay, we you know what I'm going through, which is you, you might find six to nine months of no, of no revenue before you like fly. And, and you can, I've done that. I've done that before. And one of my first businesses when I was transitioning from pay-per-click advertisements, which is like paying for advertisements on certain companies, websites or something like this to, to doing SEO. I went, I went seven months without making a, a, like a dime. And all of a sudden the first month it was like a grand and then 13 and then 20 and then 50 because the, the direction of, of a business is the majority of the work that you're going to do in the beginning is the hardest and you're not going to get paid for that work necessarily, but it's what you can do later with all that hard work that you put in in the foundation that once it, it clicks then you get paid off then you start getting paid for the work that you had already done and that's why i think a lot of people look like overnight successes because people only see that that singular moment of mm-hmm. oh this is where the the work actually paid off instead of the the 
months or often years and years of hard work that went into being able to have those types of skill sets to be able to bring it all together. Um, but most people aren't ready for that six to nine month period where they're not going to make anything. And they don't, mm-hmm. they don't try to prepare themselves for, well, if I risk this much in not getting paid, what can I build myself? And can I do a lot better by do by doing that? But um, it's, I think as we move into a more uh, information age society, it's actually a lot easier for people to do what they love and, and make, make a living doing that. And I think in the advent of, of, I like there's a I don't know if you guys are into YouTube's YouTubers at all, but there's like a Jake Paul Logan Paul fight with these oh, two the brothers. Boxing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know it's, all about those. Oblivious, yahoos. completely oblivious. <laughs> I am. Corey ain't got time for that. <laughs> I've been on YouTube for a while. Like when, since Philip DeFranco, some of our listeners know who that is. Since he was recording in his dorm room and making the decisions on air that he was going to drop out. That's how long I've been on a fan of YouTube. Yeah. Um, Philip DeFranco's great. Philly DTV. I've been trying to get him on the show for years, but he's way too big time now. It's way too big. He's got a to, whole website designed to how you reach out to him. It's crazy. What's up, yeah. To your point, though, is like if you – so you started listening to us like, you know, 2017. If you were to listen to us in like 2015 – you would have been like one out of 20 lucky listeners listening to our episodes. Like our audience back then was like not profitable. I don't even know profitable. Oh, we word, didn't, we didn't have it, profit for years. I mean, it just had incredibly low operation operating costs. So we were yeah. doing it for fun and building a community and an audience slowly, slowly and slowly. And now it's, it's the monster that it is now. And, but it's like, you can't just start a podcast and have a community dropping your hat like a, a, on a dime it's going to come from somewhere if like mm-hmm. the people who are who, who can successfully do that already had a community before they started podcasting and yeah we didn't and we like we just slowly built ours and luckily we did it in like i i would say a authentic way so that the people who are here now are authentic people and like it's been it's been it's probably my favorite part of doing all of this is the people who like have rallied around us and listened to us and contribute to the podcast and the slack and and the, and the friends that I've made along the way. That's been the, the best part about all this. And like this mm-hmm. and this is episode 220. So like when you see our thumbnail when you see what episode we're on, you know that we're not going anywhere. I know I think a lot of people are afraid to get invested in podcasts because I think people fizzle out after like 20, 30 episodes. There's that hump that you have to get over. Yep. You know. So, you know, when uh, when you start listening to us, we were probably like on episode 160, 170. You're like, oh, okay, well, these guys have hours and hours of content. I can hit play and invest into the, what these guys are saying without worrying about being, you know, you know, checking the iTunes feed and all of a sudden there's no episodes coming out. Well, I'm excited you're going to start doing YouTube stuff. I, I hope you guys have me back again for another live show somewhere down down the the future railway line we'll be doing a I, I think sweet unboxing of this bad boy relatively soon we might try getting into that yeah we're expanding nice yeah i think i think it's it's smart to do that yeah you know, i've been in in sales and marketing as long as i've been studying uh traditional indian rhythms so it's one of these abstract uh relationships with the only you know, you know the things i've done longer than that is like take psychedelics and play drums so this with with sales and marketing, I think the real development over the next few years starts to drastically change the way people interact with brands and companies and that having a platform where you are creating authentically and having long form content will become ever increasing in, in its value, not just mm-hmm. because of 
what you can what your profits might be but because i think money itself is literally just a communication of value mm -hmm. by communicating value you're creating money essentially so it's um it's a very i think a very deep philosophy to be able to do round tables to have conversations with people and to continue to create content it's one of the reasons why i i jumped into youtube and and i've had a few guests on for like my podcasts um had a phd on who uh, was a nasa scientist uh who studied uh, like a, what do you call it astral travel and uh, he's he's been doing some really cool physics experiments that prove or will disprove that we're in, not in or in a simulated reality of some kind. <laughs> it's, it's fun to be able to have this new form of media because the old media is dying. And the only way it's it could like, you don't, you don't really destroy something else. You just replace it with something better. And these are definitely steps in the right direction to being better, more truthful content because it's people sharing opinions and thoughts and, and truth as they, as they, have perceived it and allowing for that to take place, I think is, um, will do nothing but earn more and more value for itself. <laughs> we'll go ahead and, and plug those things, uh, you know, cause you've been, you've been vaguely mentioning it, but I oh, want right. people to be able to find it specifically. So do the rundown. If, if none of you have uh, seen my work before, uh, you can find us arcane bear on YouTube, on Twitter, arcane bear on Platforms like Steemit, which are decentralized blockchain social media platforms, you get paid. Arcane Bear, uh, I'll, I'll, everything is Arcane Bear. So A R C A N E B E A R. For those of you that are wondering how that's spelt, um, it it's a we we go over all sorts of topics. Like I said, everything from astral travel with physicists to to uh, to blockchain stuff. So <laughs> that's a wide umbrella. I'm sure that's good for good for keeping the creative juices flowing. So go check it out, everybody. Arcane Bear. Um, like the things. Shell out the Steam. Uh, you're on Steam, it you said, right? Yes. Yeah. Of course. Steam you gotta play with is this close, man. They need to just spend a little bit more time on college campuses, and then it is it is gonna boom. I don't know. Whoever is marketing for Steam, it hit me up. Uh, because Facebook is garbage. Instagram will be that in about four years. Come on, Steam it. You're right there. You're right there. Um, but anyways, we should plug our things, right, guys? Yeah, let's wrap it up. I wanted to talk about a nasty trend, but you'll have to wait till the next episode. Cliffhanger. Uh, there you go. To be continued. Dot, dot, dot. All right. So uh, what do we do? The Bitcoin Podcast Network. Uh, you can go to the BitcoinPodcast.network. Or the BitcoinPodcast.com uh, or the EtherealPodcast.com. <laughs> That'll get you to us, too. Um, let's see. Um, we have a lot of shows. Should I go over all the shows? I just went over all the shows on Just the Header, so I don't know if I want to do that again. If you want to like see what shows we do, subscribe to us, and you'll get, you'll get, you'll get hit by them. Or just go to the website and click on Shows, and you can see all the ones we have. And It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wide net. We got a new show coming out this week. Um, it is a blockchain and law show with a CEO of Sagewise. Not CEO of Sagewise, but she works at Sagewise. Founder. Founder. Right? She's the yeah. founder. Titles. Boss. Titles. Boss. Who cares about titles? She's, yeah. she's, she's up there on Sagewise, and she's really good at law. So uh, That episode will be rolling out. Uh, Crypto Bully, hope you like that one. And a new Ethereum show will be hitting you guys in a week or two. Um we're busy, busy people. 
Yeah, ma'am. We keep giving you guys the content and you guys keep soaking it up. And we're we're happy of that, that we're able to give you guys, uh, you know, stuff to bite down on in this ever evolving crypto ecosystem. Or oh, I'm not allowed to capitalize blockchain anymore. Sorry, Colin. Um, well, now. that's it. I like those guitars, man. Maybe you can make a live Bitcoin podcast theme for us. Yeah, I play most mostly uh, modal music here. One second, I'll, I'll show you. Yeah, let's All get right. a little bit. We're actually going to get a live theme. Oh shit! Here we go. Uh, welcome to the Bitcoin pot. Is it going to be coffee shop? I can add the vocal acoustic. This is, a, this is a Turkish oud. I don't know if you can see this thing here. Ooh, playing this out on a Turkish yeah. oud. Oh, yeah, it's okay. like a. Like an 11 string. Uh, I don't have the pick on me, which actually makes quite a big difference. But oh, catch us rolling deep like a lot of tunes you've been sitting for a bit. Always should be retuning. But anyway, anyways, I, I love modal music. It's significantly more uh, perfect than Western music. Like if you happen to be a fan of math and science like myself, all it takes is a, a simpleton's eye to do the research into some of the mathematics behind like a per- perfect pitch uh, and the musical history to find how subtly um, – like more, I get, you, you'd want to get all spiritual about it and say how, how divine modal music is comparison to Western music because of the uh, perception of, of um, perfectness in the mathematics. Like we, we have history, like you look at something like it's the like pyramids, a, right? It's like the platonic archetype did... type of like, you know, platonic ideals. It's like it's, it's, it's mathematically ideal in the yes. way they do music. Yeah, it's significant. Closer to perfection, if you could get there. Not that you can, but can you, you play us out a little bit yeah, more? Play us out. Give us. Some... Oh, this thing—it it actually sounded out of tune when I was playing it. I don't know if I. Nobody's if I... gonna know though. Only you oh, know. No, well, now we know. And that's <laughs> no, enough. I think, I think. I think everyone. I think everyone that, that listens can know. There's a great, a great um, video you can watch by uh, Bobby McFerrin where he go- teaches the pentatonic major, but. So D, you can say play the outro, and this will be it. You're ruining it, dude. Shut up. That's it. It's out of tune. I don't want to play any more out of tune. It's good. Like, okay. Each of these instruments every day need about 10 minutes of love before I turn them on. <laughs> these are these are these are ancient things. Isn't it? <laughs> All right, you gotta be ready next time you come on the show. Then play yeah. the no, outro. Oh wait, vote for Yang. <laughs>